This program is powered by Tascam. Tascam's Mini Studio Creator US42 is your new personal production and online broadcast studio featuring a professional quality audio interface and a number of unique real-time effects. The Mini Studio Creator delivers everything you need for your podcast or webcast. Find out more at Tascam.com, part of the Gibson family of brands. USB microphones and headphones provided by CAD Audio. CAD Audio, expression through innovation. Do you hear that? Hear what? I'm receiving some sort of transmission. You don't hear it? No, I don't hear anything. What does it sound like? Some sort of message and music. Music? Routed through the main system. Good idea. Routing now. Transmission commencing. This is Wookie Radio. Translated for the Wookie Affair. I like that Wookie. Bringing you news and commentary from the far reaches of the galaxy. I just assumed it's a Wookie. Let's get out of here. Ready for light speed? One, two, three! And now your host, Ken, Eric, and Mike. <laughs> and welcome to another episode of Wookie Radio. It's Derek, Ken, and Mike, and we're here to bring you news. <laughs> I almost went into the whole spiel that we did, that cast members at Hollywood Studios go into when they talk about the great movie ride. <laughs> Have you ever heard this spiel? Uh, no. A long time ago, yeah. Pe- people will ask a cast member, what's the great movie ride all about? It's a ride about movies. That's great. <laughs> oh, okay. And you do it with one of the most deadpan, monotone voices. Instead, it's a ride about movies. That's, that's great. No, it's a ride about movies. That's great. <laughs> people are like, oh... But speaking of studios, my family had the pleasure this past Martin Luther King Day of doing the Star Wars guided tour at studios. Ah, yes. Awesome. And and I tried my best to flood the Wookiee Radio Facebook page with all types of videos that I could. So, and even our guides made an appearance, or one of our guides made an appearance in a couple of videos. Yeah, is that the one that, like, um, jumped in behind you out of nowhere? Yeah, and she did the Wookiee voice, or she did a Wookiee roar. Yeah. 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 So, um, no, it was pretty cool. We, I mean, yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff is stuff we could already do on a normal park ticket without having to pay the extra. But this gets you priority seating in a lot of the films. Um, Star Tours, we got our own car. That was just the tour. Uh, the, the tour is limited to 40 people per, per tour. And they do one tour a day, Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday. They just added the Wednesdays. And that starts this week, uh, this coming week. So That means it must be doing well. It is doing well. Um and of course, we get we get access to the dessert party. We get special you get special viewing for the stage shows uh, in front of the Chinese theater. You get special viewing for the fireworks, um, which I love. Reflections at, at Epcot. That's my my home park where I work at. But the the Star Wars f- f- fireworks spectacular. I think blows away reflections, illuminations, wow. reflections of Earth. Yeah, I, I was between the fireworks and the projection on the building. Well, let, let me start off. We we checked in around twelve forty five because they say check in about twelve forty five, um, and we got started with the tour about one ten one fifteen. And of course, everyone introduces themselves, and we we have to. Uh, and then they ask us what our favorite characters were. Um, I for, for I think my brother's girlfriend went with Princess Leia. My brother went with Boba Fett. Um, I went with R two D two because I I've always had a yes I know this is Wookie Radio but I've always had a love for the Astromex <laughs> and R two D two is the one that came to mind. I was trying to think of another obscure character like I was going to go R two B one 
or uh, R2A6. Um, R2D6? R2- Isn't that the one with the broken motivator on Tatooine? No, that no, was, was an R5. R4. That was an R5D4. R5? Yeah. R5D4. R2D6, or R2D6, R2A6 is uh, Rick Oley's astromech in his Naboo Starfighter. Okay. It's the white and green. You can't it's forget a- R2KT. This is true. And she is canon now. Yes. She was in The Force Awakens, wasn't she? Yeah. She was on the ground in The Force Awakens. Yeah. Yeah. She was also in, um, wasn't she in the Clone Wars animated movie? No. That was, I think that's too too old. No, 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 no. They didn't build her until later on. No. She is in the Clone Wars animated movie. Okay. Right near the I thought they built that one um, newer. No. She's near the She wasn't even built by, I said she wasn't built by Lucasfilm originally. No. No. That was, uh... Creator of the 501st, uh, was it Algers? Is his name? His, okay. his, his daughter had brain cancer. Yeah. And they were going to build, they were going to build one for his daughter, but someone donated an R2 and painted the blue to pink until the official R2KT could be completed. That way she had a droid before she passed. Yeah, that's awesome. You gotta love when stuff like that happens. Yeah. So um, that's one thing you do, you hear a lot of from Star Wars fandom is that the, the fans care about other people or about other fans oh, yeah. especially. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we we just we just saw it most recently with um, Peter Mayhew calls her the little Wookie, um, <laughs> the girl who was it the kidney transplant, lung transplant, some sort of major transplant, and, and she's coming through strong. So, um, so we checked in for the tour. We did all that. Uh, Zoe. Zoe went with Ahsoka. Ah, cool. Uh, that my, happens to be my wife's favorite character, too. My mom went with an Ewok. My dad went with Han Solo. Melissa went with, I think, was Princess Leia. So uh, from there, we went and saw... There was saw, no love for Jar Jar? <laughs> no, no one mentioned Jar Jar. Aw. No one. <laughs> no love. No, no, I, I I wasn't silly enough to go for that obscure character either. That's not silly. He was the hero of the Battle of Naboo. He was also he was a traitor. Also, he was also a traitor right, yeah. to the Republic. Yep. Jar Jar is the reason why the Clone Wars started. And why it was no, that was all power. He was, was being manipulated the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't know what he was doing. Shit, well, yeah. His only crime is not being bright enough to figure out what Palpatine was doing. But then again, no one knew what Palpatine was doing. Ignorance True. is no excuse. So yeah, we we went. First thing we did is we went and saw uh, Star Wars: Path of the Jedi, uh, the film that was made for the parks. Um, talking about yeah, you know, kind of giving a, a backstory behind the Jedi and the and the uh, the ways of the Force and stuff like that. It was it was a cool video. Uh, really enjoyed it. Or cool movie. <laughs> uh, from there, Zoe, Melissa. Um, and a bunch of other kids who were going to do Jedi Training Academy split off from the group with, with at least one parent um, to prep for Jedi Training Academy. While the rest of us went and rode Great Movie Ride. And of course, in Great Movie Ride, um, there's a couple Star Wars references. And uh, they they pointed out to those who, who didn't know it existed, the R2-D2 C-3PO hieroglyphs that's in the first Indiana Jones room oh, right. during the mm-hmm. Indiana Jones scene. Which comes yeah. directly from Raiders of the Lost Ark when you see him in the movie point blank in camera shot after he fall you know after they drop into the pit um, and where and where it's at in the great movie ride is in the scene with um, Indy and, and Sila don't look at them look to the left because Indy and Sila are going to be on your right look to your left around the rope that's hanging is where the C-3PO and R2-D2 is located. So, tidbit for when you go. Uh, From there, we went and watched Jedi Training Academy, and Zoe had her moments, but she conquered her fear, and she did great. Uh, Super proud of her. Um, Then we went and rode Star Tours, and it's back to the the randomness again, uh, which I'm glad because... I've done the Jakku version where where they just focused on Jakku. I've done that twice, and it's you're you're following the Falcon through the Star Destroyer, and it's essentially the same movements. And oh my lord, does it make you sick? <laughs> um, but we went through on our tour. We went through Kashyyyk, which is always great because there's a a Wookiee ends up plastered on the front of the windshield. <laughs> and then it starts to slide off, and you see him scrambling to try and hold on. 
and then we also ended up on uh, Corsican or Coruscant. Oh, that's cool. So Coruscant, um, yeah. the only there's a couple planets I still have yet to do. I've yet to do Hoth. Which I really want. Because apparently you zip in and out of uh, AT-ATs. Oh, I, nice. oh, I want oh, this cool. so bad. Yeah, um, that'd be awesome. I'm trying to remember what else. I've done Naboo. I've done the Death Star. I've done Coruscant. I've done Indoor. I've done... Tatooine? I don't know if there is a Tatooine. No Tatooine. Well, Mike, how many times have oh, you actually rode this? Not as many as, as you would think. <laughs> yeah. What with but also, with the well, adventures continues. I, I've probably been on it maybe seven, eight times. Okay. Well, the follow up question: Have you ever had the same ride twice? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because mostly um, there's like you're you're supposed there, to have some insane number sixty, seventy times before you actually see the same ride twice. Statistically, now now it's almost a hundred different combinations. Okay. I have had the same ride twice. Uh, and the, and the ride that I've had twice is Kashyyyk and, and Coruscant. I've also had, uh, what else did I have? I've had something and, uh, something in Naboo as well. Now, does the Naboo one actually take you under the water too, under the yes. sea so you can, the sea yeah. creatures can attack you and stuff? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. And then you pop up, uh, near the temple. I'm trying to, I'm trying to see if I can find, I'm checking for where the, um, what the different destinations are. Um, yeah, that's one of the major reasons for me to want to go to Disney at some point is just so I can get ever, get a chance to ride that ride. Yeah, now I they can't wait till the Disney theme, the Disney, uh, the Star Wars part opens up. Now they mm-hmm. they they talk about um, as you're in the queue line. There's two different droids. And they call them goose droids because they were because re- they're recycled from an old Disneyland attraction. And, and they really? have we- and they have web feet. They still have the web feet for their for their feet. Hmm. So um, so they're called the goose droids. And one of them is done by the guy who played the tick, uh, Patrick Warburton. Oh, oh I love awesome. him. And then of course in the original ride, your pilot was Rex, Captain Rex, mm-hmm. voiced by Pee Wee Herman. Well, he mm-hmm. is under he is in the queue line. You can see him in the queue line with a defective sticker <laughs> on him. So there's tribute there. Um, when, for those who haven't done the ride, um, there are 13 random segments of the film, two opening segments, four primary segments, four hologram and three ending destinations. Uh, when combined, they allow for 96 different possible ride experiences. So your, your two different openers is you can have Darth Vader and Imperial Stormtroopers and Skytroopers. Which we kind of see the sky troopers in uh, Rebels as well with uh, yeah. Geonosis. That's where the sky troopers for that episode came from. They were inspired by the ones used in Star Tours. That's so, uh, so officially making it canon. Um, of course, Vader uses the Force grip to keep the speeder from escaping. Um, the second option is you have an Imperial probe droid. Um, in which, you, if you look in the background, you see Han Solo facing detention by the Empire and opens fire on a platoon of stormtroopers. And then he races up the ramp of the Falcon. It takes off, and the Star Speeder is right behind it. Um, after jumping into light speed, um, you have different options. You can end up on Hoth amid the Battle of the Rebels and the Imperial Adats. Uh Tatooine, which actually I have done this. I forgot it was this. Tatooine, in which you take part in the pod race, the Bunta Eve ah. pod race. Uh, Kashyyyk, um, Jakku now. So that's your four options in the beginning. And I've done three of the four. I've done the Tatooine. Jakku was where you went through the Star Destroyer, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, is it? That one's rough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can um, imagine. So the only one I haven't done is Hoth. I've done Tatooine, I've done Kashyyyk, and I've done Jakku. Um, then you return back to space, and you get a message from either Akbar, which I've had, Princess Leia, which I've had, Yoda, which I've had, or BB-8. And all of these messages confirm that there is a rebel spy on board, which is the other catch. Because in the beginning, when you get stopped, they're going, we're looking for this rebel spy, and you will turn them over. Uh, despite the protests and everything else, 
um, you end up to one of your three different endings. Um, Star Speeder arrives in the upper atmosphere of Corsican, in which you are, um, which is basically like the opening sequence to Revenge of the Sith with oh, the yeah. buzz droids and whatnot, and then you end up in Corsican, and it's almost like the speeder chase from fan, uh, Attack of the Clones. Mm. Cool. Um, or you end up in Naboo, in which um, you, you're you ordered to, to lead, uh, three N1 starfighters are ordered to lead the star speeder into the hangar bay, but are shot down by vulture droids. Another vulture droid shoots down the star speeder and it plummets into the ocean of the planet. Um, Side swiping or smashing into Jar Jar Binks, which is great. Um, <laughs> after the Gungans order the star speeder to follow the sh- to follow a ship that will lead it through the planet's core, you get chased by the the fish. Uh, you pop back up into a repair hangar filled with star freighter debris uh, in Naboo. And then the final one is you discover the still incomplete Death Star orbiting Geonosis in your ambush in the and- asteroid field by Boba Fett and Slave One. Uh, from there, it uh, you, you Fett launches a sonic bomb, which is deflected back by a laser blast. The explosion cripples the bounty hunter, allowing the star speeder to jump to light speed. It reaches the Rebel fleet and lands upon a Mon Calamari cruiser where Rebel leaders wait to offer congratulations. So, that's that. Yeah, I gotta get down there to try that out at some point. It's awesome. It really is. Um... So after after Star Tours, we went and walked to the front of the park where we got to, well, we thought we were going to get to watch the March of the First Order, except we got to be part of the processional up to the stage. So the, the First Order troopers and Phasma walk, and then we're like, and then they give us about five, six feet, and then we're behind them. Our, so here's our tour group walking behind them, walking to our our des, you know, special viewing for for that. And then uh, we Does that also mean you've now officially joined the first order. No, <laughs> we just had an escort. Is the way I see it. Um, so we we get our special viewing, and then uh, we stay to also see um, uh, Star Wars: A Galaxy Far Away. Basically, it, a lot of people. Cast-wise, call it the Star Wars fashion show because the only face character in it is Darth Maul. Other than that, everyone else has a helmet or a mask. So, um, and it's just high. It's it's just highlights of the different um, different films. Um, from there, we went and ate dinner at uh, Backlot Express, um, in which I had a, a burger called the the Imperial Royal Guard Burger. Uh, it was like on a pumpernickel bread, but was brisket, either brisket or pork on top of a hamburger with pepper jack cheese, lettuce, tomato, onion. Um, I enjoyed it. It was a, it was a, it was a decent, sounds, sounds pretty it was a good. decent burger. Uh-huh. Um, from there, we went to the launch bay for the dessert party and it was pretty good. And while we were there, you know, we were told, yeah, that's where we turned in our, our, um, listening devices so we could hear them which is cool it's almost like an in-ear monitor or a monitor system so you could hear your guides without having to be all up on them going okay what'd you say again what'd you say again you know especially with the crowds in the park it's a really awesome system uh i've used them on a couple tours that we've done and and it's really cool um so we turned those in, and you know, the guys came around and asked us about everything. And they told us because of our our lanyards that we had for the tour, um, and of course our name badges. If we wanted to go see Kylo Ren or Chewbacca, we essentially had it was like a fast pass. So um, we did meet Chewbacca. Zoe has a great pose, which I'll have to put on the Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also got Chewie to do a show ID for us. Oh, cool. So I will have the video of it on Wookie on the Wookie Radio Facebook page, but I'm also going to cut it for for the soundboard so we have it. So that was fun. Uh, name badges um, because of table. We, we noticed when we got our name badges. My family, we were all Jakku as our as our location. Um, other people had like Hoth and Coruscant and Tatooine. Come to find out, that's what they use for our table assignments for dinner. 
Ah. So I was like, okay, this is a cool idea. So um, when we got our name badges, Zoe's going, we've got this one already. I said, yeah, but this one's now, you know, this one you're going to remember from the tour because it doesn't say Padawan because usually we get them to say Padawan or or Jedi. Mine usually says Jedi Master. But this is the first time in a while that I've had one that actually has a a planet name on it. So, um, but the the ex- but we we got to keep our lanyards as well because I had a Arabish translation guide on one, and then the other one was a a map to the launch bay. Now during the dessert party, I'm like, well, we haven't gotten any souvenirs or a chance. I had some Christmas money from my grandmother that was kind of burning a hole in my pocket, and with my um, being a cast member, you know, my discount, I went and picked up the park exclusive Bluetooth Star Wars communicator, aka the Comlink Stormtrooper Comlink, and it has all the movie sounds with it. Cool. Like when you turn it on, awesome. when it pairs, when you get a call, it is awesome. I love it, and and it's really helpful, especially since I'm I'm still getting used to my glasses and trying to wear a normal earpiece with glasses is kind of difficult. Mm. <laughs> this this you can hold just like you do like you see him using the movie, and it's great, and and it's one to one scale. So if you're doing a stormtrooper armor or you're doing Luke or Han after you know wearing the stormtrooper belts or in stormtrooper armor or even the Clone Wars stuff or now even Rebels because um, they use the same comlinks in Rebels. You 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 have a perfect replica that's also awesome. function that's also functional. So that's even better, actually. Yeah, yeah. So so for me, if I cosplay as a Jedi, I can now grab like the. Um, you know, put on, you know, maybe not wear the shoulder armor because, like, Mace Windu didn't have, I don't think he had the shoulder armor, or did he? Yeah, every Jedi actually made, built their own, or took what they wanted for their armor. There was no specific, all Jedi wore this. Well, I, I know, I know Mace, almost everyone wore the bracers. Yeah. Um. Well, didn't they have the comlinks built into those? I, I think so, yeah. I think so, but when they had the belt, um, but they all, some also had the alternate com link outside of the the bracers as well. Okay, if I remember right, I have to go back. At, now I gotta go back and watch Clone Wars. <laughs> oh darn! <laughs> all six seasons. <sighs> hey, it's research. It Anybody is research. Asks, it's research for the show. That's what I told my wife tonight when I was starting to watch Rebels. I'm like, I gotta do some research for the show. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, I mean. It's something you, you can now, you don't have to worry about pulling your phone out. You just have the Bluetooth. And, you, and it's just like those who want to do Star Trek um, cosplay. Think Geek has a a, um, a uh, communicator Bluetooth device as well that you know, looks like the, the original TV series communicators. Yeah, I saw yeah, that. I've seen that, so, yeah. So you, you just pop the pop your phone in the pocket and you carry that around. And then, and then everything's cool. So, I, I mean, I think it's great that these companies are are making cosplay props that are actually practical mm-hmm. Bluetooth devices for for your for your for your dev, um, mobile phones or or tablets. I, I know it's, that is brilliant. I love it. Yeah. Well, um, Ashley Eckstein's been working on doing that with her her universe also with some of the clothing. Yeah. She has a whole line she calls everyday cosplay, and it's like yeah. hoodies and stuff like that. Vicky has the Ewok hoodie. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. So Zoe has just outgrown her Ahsoka hoodie. <laughs> and of course, now with her universe uh, relaunching Tuesday, actually, uh, now that they're part of um, Hot Topic, a fit, I mean, Full Tilt, Hot Topic bought her universe, but Ashley's still oh, running it. Yeah, they bought it last fall or last year sometime. Wow. Uh, Ashley's still going to run her universe, um, but they are a part of the Hot Topic brand now. Yeah. So I'll be curious to see what else they offer up. So now I'm going to kind of segue us here to see what else they offer up. There's been a lot of rumors since Carrie Fisher has passed away. And I don't, oh, yeah. I know we haven't had a chance to really discuss it. Actually, no, we did kind of discuss it before the end of the year. Didn't we discuss yeah, we it with the Rogue bit, One? Yeah, yeah. yeah, briefly with, with our Rogue One recap, I think. Um, 
you know, the general's gone, the princess is gone, however you want to label her. Um, she's no longer here. Um, but she was slated for two more movies. Episode eight, she has a very strong presence in. Um, she was report, it was reported that she was done with all her filming. So maybe there would have been some ADR, maybe there would have been maybe a few reshoots, uh, which now rumor has it, well, look at what they did with Rogue One with Grand Marf talking and, you know, Peter Cushing with the CGI and whatnot. Oh, what are they going to do now and how are they going to handle Episode Nine? Um Actually, Ken, I think I'm going to let you take it from here. Okay. Well, we um we talked about this over on Geek Watch One also, but it's interesting because this is the first time we can anybody can remember ever Disney actually reacting and putting out a statement in direct response to a fan outcry of something. Yeah. I can't think of any other time they've done this. They actually put out a statement about this because everybody was wondering. Okay, so we're going to now see um a digital Carrie Fisher in Episode Nine. Now, even with this statement, um, I still see the possibly doing something digital if they have to do any pickup shots or having another actress from the back or something like that for episode 8. they say If they need something for pickup, that's easy to fix. And that's nothing huge. Um, right. Because there have been um, reports from like the Fisher family that uh, Disney was talking to them about doing something even after she's gone to be able to use Carrie's likeness or something. But I'm thinking all that is, is that's if you need it for a pickup shot here or there. If you need someone far in the background, something like that. Right. Because the statement they actually put something- here quick something well exactly. and, the, and the family's been okay with that as well i mean for the most mm-hmm. part um just you know to, to help complete the film yeah. uh with eight i think with nine though with episode nine they're i don't know well i'll let you continue yeah. well um geek watch one we were we kind of made a um a thing that we thought is like everybody knows that the amount of power disney has is like how do you get out of a disney contract but um, looks like they're gonna um, they're not gonna use her. It says the um, the statement Disney put out, and this is the classiest I've seen out of a movie studio for a long time. It says we don't normally respond to fan or press speculation, but there is a rumor re- circulating that we would like to address. We want to assure our fans that, that Lucasfilm has no plans to digitally recreate Carrie Fisher's performance as Princess or General Leia Organa. Now, this second half is the really cool part. Carrie was, is, and always will be a part of the Lucasfilm family. She was our princess, our general, and more importantly, our friend. We are still hurting from her loss. We cherish her memory and legacy as Princess Leia and will always strive to honor everything she gave to Star Wars. Now, that's how you, um, that's how you answer something like this. That's how you nip it in the bud. Yeah, exactly. So it's straight up; they are not going to make a digital layup for episode nine. No. So that now brings the question: What happens to her in eight? Right. Does she ride off in the sunset? Yeah, I don't think they're going to change eight much for this. Um, I'm hoping, if nothing else, they give her a send off that it's at least as good as um, Star Trek did for Leonard Nimoy. Did you guys see Beyond? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The way they did that, I thought was amazing. Where they let, since he had died off screen, they couldn't use anything from he died before they did any of the filming. Right. So they weren't able to have him at all, but they still in the movie gave a tribute to both Spock and him. If you actually read it the right way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I was surprised they did not actually name a ship the USS Nimoy. Yeah, they may that, still do that. Remember, we got Discovery coming this summer. Yeah, which unless you're willing to pay for it, you're not going to see it on CBS. <laughs> oh, I already have I already have CBS All Access. So, oh wow, la <laughs> da. Hey, I, had, I wanted to see MacGyver. Pants. I I wanted to see MacGyver and Big Bang Theory. You wanted to see MacGyver. It's actually not bad. I didn't care for it. If they'd have changed the name to something else, it would have been a really good show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As a show, it's good. As the guy doesn't stand up. <laughs> I disagree. So, but yeah, well, this is a, this is a classy act from Lucasfilm and from Disney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. It, it really is. Well, s- speaking of shows, uh, let's do some recaps, shall we? Uh, let's go back. Let, let's go back to the two-part uh, Ghost of Geonosis. Um, and from StarWars.com, here are. Uh, I don't even see the author of the story. Uh, you list their, yeah, they list their authors usually. Yes. Uh, take a minute. Geek Girl Diva is who wrote this piece. Okay. Um, and it's the, the 10 highlights from Ghost of Geonosis. And uh, number one, what will he become? Uh, no longer a young man that we knew from on Daron. 
but still a few years away from the events of Rogue One, Saul Guerrero remains both unpredictable and passionate about the cause. Now a member of the Rebellion, his methods, while extreme, are, st- are still providing results, but at what cost? Uh, two, we're deep in the tunnels. Um, I don't even think we got this deep in the in the movies. No, yeah, um, no. Well, unless the we we didn't actually go through the tunnels much. Um, depends on how deep were the droid factories. Because I know they were down in the tunnels. Yeah, but I thought they were pretty much still near the surface, though. Okay. Um, so we're deep in the tunnels. Three. Th- these I loved. Uh, Zeb and Sabine are, are grabbing the shield generator shield generator core, and they're walking through, and they're going, uh, "Those aren't rocks." Because they're they're droid Rikas or battle dro- or uh, destroyer droids. Destroyer droids. Yeah, and that was uh, awesome. Those those are cool, and it, it was just so great. Click clack was awesome. Uh, he comes in at number four. Um, again, they use Ezra's ability to communicate with non-human species uh, to communicate with click clack, and he goes, well, "I'm just going to call you click clack." Yeah. Um, of course. Oh, he did give him his full name. Yeah. If you if you can speak Genosian. <laughs> um, but you know, he questions. You know, what are, what's the Empire building here? Well, we see a circle within a circle. Mm-hmm. What does that really mean? Well, there was a couple different theories. Was it the egg? Was it the toxins that they found later, or is it the Death Star? It's the Death Star. Everybody it, it, but the people on the show knew what it was. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Pretty much. At number five, we saw Saw's single-mindedness. Uh, you know, we we just see how driven Saw is in his ways and the impact. Now he his his you know, his need to get the bug almost made him lose what he had left of his sister. Then when Ezra returns it, Saw misses the point that his anger was the reason it fell to the ground to, to begin with. Partner that with the total lack of regard for Click Clack's possessions, and you begin to see how far um, Saw is losing it. And of course, that brings us to number six. Far gone indeed. Um, because whether it's torturing Click Clack or making him com- uh, to make him comply or pointing a blaster at the last Geonosian queen egg in the zip existence uh saw crosses the line and he's pulled back by ezra uh he refuses to listen to anyone else even lashing out at the jedi but it's ezra's willingness to stand up to saw and his conviction that ultimately breaks the standoff uh and of course we talk about the sky troopers or the rocket troopers yeah Uh, Yeah. of course you know that all comes from from star tours um Eight, back from the brink, uh, thanks to Ezra and the rest of the crew, Saul has a change of heart and realizes that even enemies suffer losses. Um, for number nine, they say the ghost makes a pretty good battering ram. Well, they didn't, they really didn't ram through it. No. Through the Star Destroyer. They just happened to, nice shot, pretty much. Um, and then, of course, the baby steps. Well, well, if you remember, hang on, before you, um, if you remember from back in the Iron Squadron episode, that's not a Star Destroyer. That's just an Imperial Cruiser. Right. Sure. Star Destroyers are much bigger. It, it, much. Almost, it, almost, it almost looks like a Jedi Cruiser from Clone Wars. It, it, yeah, it's the next variation on the original yeah. Star Destroyers, I think. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, at the end. I think those were, what, the Victory class? I think so. Yeah. And at the end, we, we you know, it's baby steps. Uh, the crew wasn't able to retrieve any of the canisters, but they did get pictures um, to show that, yeah, the Empire's playing dirty. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we go into the next week's episode, which is Warhead, which uh, I was excited about. The, the was it the infiltrator droid um, in protocol mo- mode? Looks uh, very yeah. familiar. <laughs> huh. Uh, we bit. Uh, oh, it was based on the old Macquarie C-3PO sketches. Yeah, that was the original C-3PO sketches. Which isn't the first time we see the Macquarie sketches be utilized, because Zeb is what the original Wookiees were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and it, this little show, all the way through, all three seasons so far, has been rife with original Macquarie artwork that they just utilized as is, almost. Yeah, yeah which I love. Yeah. Now, for number two, uh, here's the Phoenix Squad going out for training exercises. Uh, this is the first time we see Hobie and Wedge in Rebel pilot garb. Yet yeah, I Wedge, thought they were going to General Dodonna. Uh, well, apparently they're back, for whatever reason. Um, so when they leave, who's put in charge? Captain Zeb. <laughs> well, he is was, their chief of security. This is true. Um, now... 
it, of course, we, we now see AP5, which is the almost looks like the uh, Death Star droid. Uh, but slightly different. Oh no, it's still kind of close to the Death Star. No, it droid. is. He's the Death Star droid. Remember um, they um they actually got him from an Imperial ship, I believe. Yeah, yeah. He's working on an Imperial freighter ship. It was on that freighter ship. Yeah. Um. Now, of course, this case, yeah, his murders. Um, Chopper being the serial killer droid. When you think about it, it's amazing. AP five has lived this long. Uh, Chopper's default setting seems to be kill it when it comes to other droids being around. Uh, <laughs> in, in this case, his dreams will have to wait because Zeb's in charge. Um, but then we have Luke. Uh, looks can be deceiving because you know this memoryless dropped out of the sky droid for sure is useful. Um, but we then come find out as an infiltrator uh, when Fulcrum, aka uh, Callus, drops a hint that um, could be could be problems. Which actually brings up number five. Listening to Fulcrum is much cooler now. Uh, you can't help but enjoy the idea that Agent Callus is working against the Empire. Also, it's easy to recognize him as Fulcrum now, now that we know who he is. And of course, in this case, the news isn't good. Houston, we have a problem. A very dangerous problem. Um... Which is number six, step away from the killer Imperial droid. Uh, you know, you ha- knowing you have an infiltrator is one thing. Watching it transform from protocol droid into infiltrator mode, um, quite scary, <laughs> but was quite cool. Um, and then number seven, for a minute there, this feels like a totally different space franchise. Um, you know, who, the writer of this art of this particular article, I don't know if it's Geek Girl Diva. I'll let you know at the end. Um, they write, who got a creepy chill looking at the droid, looking at the droid hand and fluid? Someone had a lot of fun cr- creating this unsettling scenario and making this droid even more terrifying than we thought possible. Also, who hurts a harmless gonk droid? <laughs> um, Number eight, that's going to leave a mark. Uh, there's a point in the fight where the crazy killer threw Zeb and he landed on his back against a crate in such a way that probably most people winced. Ken, probably, as you watched it, you probably was like, yeah, it's just another day in the ring. Pretty much. <laughs> I, I will say, I, I saw a lot of, um, a lot of wrestling in, in that, in that fight. It's like, okay. I, 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 I've seen I, a lot I, of that um, in the last five to ten years. I've seen a lot of that in both um, movies, television, and even in animation. Stuff that's translated straight out of a wrestling ring. Yeah. Um, number nine, with <laughs> explosions, it's all about timing. Of course, you know, this protocol droid um, it's got to figure, you know, is, has a self-destruct. Uh, I thought it was cool how the timer kind of had that uh, predator feel to it. Oh, yeah. Which was awesome. Um and then, uh, you know, they go, you know, Cal saved the day and the rebels are safe. And then number 10, or are they? Um, because now Callus has, has been able to keep the rebels from being blown up or captured. Uh, but Thrawn has scored a win for his team. A search that included thousands of systems has now been dar- narrowed down to 94 possibilities. To Thrawn, this is just a pawn lost in a much bigger game, but he's got a much better idea of the landscape than before. So see what happens as things get closer and closer. So we we kind of had um, a new episode this week. There was kind of a break from this little story arc of Geonosis and and Warhead and that whole. I think I like this week's better. Uh, yeah, it was. This week's is a very interesting episode. Heavy an expedition, exposition, really. Yeah, but I think I liked it. It was like you said, it gives a good break and it slows it down a little bit. Yeah. Well, I I also like the fact too that it. Um, well, actually, Derek, why don't you give us a highlight, you know, some highlights or, or recap of the episode? All right. Well, basically, uh, we started off with the. Uh, it's basically all about Sabine and uh, her taking control of the uh, dark saber and yeah. trying to trying to uh, in the hopes that she can bring her family together and her clan back together and lead them. Uh, and so it's basically uh, she goes out and uh, Ezra and Kanan start teaching her how to use the dark saber but she at first she uh she she kind of doesn't take it seriously and she doesn't do very well and she kind of gets her butt kicked a few times training with yeah. Kanan. and then he gives her to ezra <laughs> and still gets her butt <laughs> mm-hmm. kicked 
And the <laughs> the funniest part to me was every time Ezra would say something to her, like, oh, you're doing a good job or whatever, and she'd get all upset. And <laughs> now, I thought it was cool when, um, when, they, when Hera says she's going to send over supplies, and it's the other Mandalorian. Yeah. And he gives Ben Rao, isn't it? I think so. I think so. Yeah. And, yeah. and he gives um, Sabine the gauntlets, her her yeah. first set of gauntlets. Which and she awesome. can and she even though she doesn't have the force, she uses them as if they are the force. Right. Well, like, not at first the, though. Not at first, true, not at first, but uh well she she uses the one with the repulsor. Right. To but kind of she thinks, pu- push back Ezra. Mm-hmm. Right. But at first she thinks that the gauntlets is, are all that she needs right. to uh, to fight the Jedis. And uh, Kanan tells her, that, like, Kanan basically tells her that the Jedi won the war against the Mandalorians because all they had were tricks like that and things. Yeah. Well, yeah. Ben Rao had actually said that these were actually designed to counteract Jedi's force powers, right. to give the Mandalorians an even footing. But... I don't think you can ever truly have an even footing with a Jedi. No. Unless no. you're a Sith. <laughs> so, but then once Kanan convinces her that she, he, she needs to use all of the tools at her disposal all together, then she starts using it more like it's the Force. Yeah. It was like during the the one fight sequence, training sequence, when she loses the saber and uses that whip to pull it back. Right, yep. That, that was awesome. Yeah, that, that when I saw awesome. that, I was like, yeah, there you go. Now, I, I found it interesting when um, Kanan really, you know, tried to get her motivated. And um, was going, look, you really still don't care about this. And you're not committed to this. And then she just goes off. I'm like, ooh, we're hitting yeah. the dark side here. Yeah, but you got to remember, since she's not using the Force, there is no dark side for her. This is true. But now we start to get some more backstory on her, that she she was a weapons maker on Mandalore for the Empire, and that some of her weapons were used against her people, and and she felt guilty about it. I'm like... That blew my mind. I was like, whoa... To me, that was a a a move of here. Here's some correlation. Here, here's almost a parallel um, uh, parallel plot point to Galen Ursa yes, as yep. well. Now, there there's some some parallel ties with with Galen because his stuff was being used by the Empire against others as well, right. and that's not what he was designing it for. Right. But then she said that she tried to stand up to the Empire, and her family didn't wasn't on her side. They're on the yeah. Empire side. Yeah. Even though they're enslaved. Right. They're they're on the Empire side. So very intriguing. Very. Mm-hmm. And I, I definitely look forward to finding out more details about all of that. Yeah. Well I'm I'm now kinda hoping we're gonna see her using it a lot more. Yeah. Or or that's so. gonna yeah. be or it's gonna be on her side now. Yeah. Well something that was a real quick uh, if you weren't looking at the screen you didn't see it was um What's his name? Um, Bendu. Bendu was actually in this episode also. Yeah. Yes. Yep. When, when, when she, Which after the, interesting to see what is he going to do? Yeah. I, I was waiting for him to actually, I was waiting for an interaction between him and Sabine, and it, it just didn't happen. And yeah, and it, initially I was like, oh, we're not going to get it. And then the way they pulled it off, I'm like, okay, I, I kind of like this better. Because he, he's now <laughs> playing that. Do I expose myself to her? Okay, not in that way. Um, right. Do I, do I reveal myself to her to, to help her, or do I keep quiet? Because who who knows yeah. how much who knows how much Ezra and, and Kanan have talked about Bindu? I mean, truthfully, right. besides what we've seen in the show, probably not a whole lot, especially to to Sabine. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's. This episode was was definitely a breath of fresh air, and I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, yeah, I really well, did enjoy also, it. Also, it was fantastic. This episode added a lot of stuff to canon that wasn't there previously. Right. Sure. Um, I actually found an article about the top five things on this. There's five major things that this added to the Star Wars canon. If you guys, if we have time for this, yeah, let's go for it. Starting off, um, comicbook.com had this list, and it's um, the first one is the story of Tar Vizsla, the Mandalorian Jedi. Yeah. It yeah. says, Behold the Mandalorian yes. Jedi. And I love the way they showed this, where it was almost like a um, motion comic, the way they did this. Yeah. Like a, it, was it was a like, cave like, painting or something. Yeah, like a cave painting. Exactly. I, I, almost hate to, mm-hmm. I, almost, I almost hate to say it. It was very Disney-esque as well. Yeah. Like Hercules. <laughs> yeah. 
But um, the story was that a thousand years ago, Tar Vizsla designed the Darksaber for himself. Yeah. And then, um, then he was referred to after that as the ma- first Mandalorian Jedi, which seems to indicate that there's actually been more since then. Yes. It's also yeah. an exciting bit as well as revealing the reward. It's an exciting bit there, but it also reveals the origin of the Darksaber and why it's so important to the um, Vizsla family. Yeah. The second one is until now, ever now Star Wars fans have heard about these the um, lightsaber forms and such like that all the time. They're all over the place, right. especially right. in the Clone Wars and um, things like that. We you hear about um, somewhere in Legends or something. You hear about um, different lightsaber forms. That's why eventually Ahsoka is able to use two lightsabers. Cause she's using a different version of the different katas and stuff, and it, it makes sense because look at the different forms of martial arts and uh, that we have here on Earth. Right. right. Well, Sabine um, is actually taught Jedi forms to teach uh, lightsaber forms to figure out how to do this. And um, that, according to this, when Sabine begins her training, she begins by learning the basic forms of lightsaber combat. It's something that's been highly or mentioned slightly and offhand in other things like the Clone Wars, but seeing it for the first or in full force here was a lot of fun. Lightsaber forms were brought into modern canon in the book Star Wars Absolutely Everything You Need to Know, but um, the fact that they actually put it on screen means that a whole lot more people um, have seen it. Now, I have Everything You Need to Know, but a lot of fans don't have that book because it technically looks and feels like a children's book, but there's yeah. some awesome stuff in there. I agree. So um, I, I do not have that book i will have to check it out i i need to get oh, it it's, yeah it is awesome and it, it's a dk book so it's actually it's pretty easy to read but there's a lot of information socked in those little bit of um writing in there cool the next part is the jedi mandalorian wars a massive part of legends took place even longer t- an even longer time ago in the time of the very old republic introduced in the expanded hi- or in spans of history of the knights of the old republic framework there was a war between the jedi and the mandalorians spurred on by the followers of Revan, a great Jedi and terrifying Sith, um, and now that for, that war or some form of it is officially in canon. Because remember, right. Legends of the, or um, Knights of the Old Republic is part of the old Legends universe now. Right. Right. Well, they they even. But the Mandalorian Wars became canon too, and during the Clone Wars with the whole uh, Death Watch. And they brought it yeah. up then as well. Yeah. Well, it says here, um, Kanan actually says in the episode, <clears throat> excuse me, in the episode, hi- history lesson. The Jedi won the Mandalore or won the war with Mandalore. These tricks will amount to, or will amount to something. Maybe you have, maybe save you from time to time, but they won't keep you alive in the long run. Right. It's a, it's just a one-liner, but the best lines in Star Wars usually are. <laughs> right. It's a one-liner that has a lot of implications. Exactly. I know. So that, that, that's <laughs> then the fourth one they had was um, Sabine and the Dark Saber are actually important to the Force. Now it says this is a big one, and you may not have completely noticed it, but Dave Filoni previously told ComicBook.com, who's doing this article, that the Convories or the little Force owls that we've seen. Uh, wait, yeah, that the Convories, the little Force owls that we've seen throughout the um, at least two seasons of the Rebels, show up when something big or important is happening to or for the Force. Yeah. And there was a convoy following around Ahsoka. Remember that from the battles and stuff from last season? Yep. And one is sitting, usually sitting on the shoulder of Bendu when he's talking with Kanan. Well, there is also a convoy painted on the shoulder of Sabine's armor this season. Yeah. Now they were they were also at the opening of her training. If you um, remember when they're coming in on um, Sabine and Ezra, there's a couple of like creatures sitting on a rock. Those were all convoys also. And um, yeah, training use, and that sets off alarm bells. When Sabine Sabine goes down on her own, only to return ready to train. The Bendu, who she unknowingly kicks in frustration, and he turns to look at her as she walks away. Something huge is going on here, and the Force feels it. That may actually have something to do with this next one, is Kanan actually explains how lightsabers actually work. Yeah. Because um, Kanan tells um, Sabine, as she's holding the Darksaber for the first time actually as a weapon, that um, he finally gives Sabine the Darksaber. He explains that how a lightsaber works with the, with the wielder. Right. And the the fact that it through the kyber crystal inside is linked to the person holding it through the force even for someone who isn't necessarily force sensitive in the traditional version of the term right he tells her to ignite the blade and she notes that it's heavier when it's turned on he says the energy constantly flows through the crystal you're not fighting with a simple blade as much as you're directing in a current of power your thoughts your actions they become the energy they flow through the crystal as well and become part of the blade right well so um 
he she mentions too that it's become easier to use it feels lighter mm-hmm. and he makes the comment it's because you're more in tune with it now exactly um, also it's something they've been pointing out a lot more since um, Rebels and um, I believe they pointed it out in um, they pointed out it's almost like they're starting to hit us over the head with this that the force moves in all living things right whether or not you actually have, are sensitive to force can feel it it still feels you right it reacts to what you do it, even um, if you actually look at Rebels you want to look into that or um, want to look at it this way um, cheer it when he walks through the battlefield ch- chanting the uh, mantra about the force that could still be the force guiding his motions not without him actually feeling it and just trusting that it's going to do it right right he might have might not have had any control he may not have um, known anything felt anything but just trusted that the force would protect him and obviously it did until he's flipped switch yeah, yeah. So that's what they had on here, but that that's a lot of stuff of um, Mandalorian and um, Jedi lore that was added in just this one half hour episode. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I'm trying to remember who was taking this next story about the Bakta tanks. Because I, I, I thought I, that was kind of cool. All right. Yeah. Um, now we know that. Everybody remembers in Rogue One that Darth Vader, first time you see him in the whole movie, he's in a Bacta tank with no arms, no legs, and just kind of floating there. Yeah, that was awesome. It's a, Most people, they, I'm sure they expect it. When you first see Darth Vader, you're expected to see him like you do in Episode Four, where he walks in the door and starts kicking tail and taking names. But we don't get that to start with. Um, Gareth Edwards has actually come out and said, why was that scene actually still left in the movie? Because we renamed um, her from Anakin to Bob. <laughs> I was waiting to see if there's a hook hanging from below, below him, but hey, that's just me. <laughs> oh, something's fishy. <laughs> um, so, oh, go ahead. No, it's, there, Mike. Nope, done with okay. my jokes. I'm washed out. <laughs> I'm washed out. Ah. Uh, well, Gareth Edwards said straight back or straight up that um, I'm jealous of moments like like in Empire Strikes Back where you see the back of Vader's head and you just go, "That's so cool." Yeah. And one and I wanted to try to find something like that in our film. So um, he explained that this the that the scene was inspired by Chris Cunningham and the idea of being in milk, like in Bjork's um, music video, "All Is Full of Love," which I've never seen. But hey, <laughs> neither have I. <laughs> The thought was to enrich the character, offering some juxtaposition for his later scene that's all rage and action. Um, he's really a burn victim, and it's not going to be fun for him when he's not in the suit. He's going to be very uncomfortable. Sure. <laughs> I love the idea of showing that he's vulnerable as well, says Edwards. Vader's very, very bad. And so you try to and just glimpse something of him that gives him some humanity, or it, take, or it makes you empathize with him. Just seeing those scars and realizing that he's, you know, an amputee, and just reminding you that uh, before he does all this, all of his stuff, it makes you... Th- um, torn i think he's just he's just such a rich character in so many ways so actually it it makes it makes me kind of uh appreciate him even more it just shows how really so little actual body yeah and just how cool he really is like when i when when that when they showed him coming you know in the bakta tank i was just looking at him like that is so crazy but so cool Especially when when uh, the one guy who comes in and just looks at him is like, and you see him turn in the tank, and like, okay, yeah. So yeah, that that was that was that was interesting. It, it was fun to see, though. It really it was. was. It definitely was. Yeah. So, um, let's see what what do we have? Uh, there's there's been some some movement with um, Han Solo movie. Uh, yes. and I, I thought this latest news was, was interesting. Uh, I agree. Very interesting. So according to StarWars.com, uh, veteran film and television actor Woody Harrelson is stepping aboard the upcoming Han Solo movie set to arrive in theaters next year. And of course, we all know Woody Harrelson from movies like The Hunger Games, No Country for Old Men. He was on yeah. True Detective. Uh, he was in Zombieland. Uh, he was in some show in the 80s. I can't remember which one. Uh, oh. That might have been Cheers. Just oh, yeah. Maybe. Everybody knows. One of the... Ever- Everybody knows your name. Exactly. <laughs> one well, of the, the funny thing is, if you look at what time. he's done now, oh, yeah. if you look at what he's done now, it makes it so much funnier to see his character then. Yeah. Oh, I know, right? But it also shows that, you know, that he is a really good actor, too. Yeah. So, uh, Donald Glover, he will join actors Alden Ein... 
Aaron Reich, excuse me, <laughs> Donald Glover, and Amelia Clark in The Adventure. Star Wars Story is the second in a series of films that live outside the Skywalker family saga and is set during the early scoundrel days of the iconic characters prior to A New Hope. We couldn't be more excited to work with an artist with as much depth and range as Woody, said the film's director Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. Miller. His ability to find both humor and pathos often in the same role is truly unique. He's also very good at ping pong. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) The As Yet Untitled movie, which is being produced by Kathleen Kennedy, Allison Schirmer, and Simon Emanuel, is scheduled for release in 2018. Now, it doesn't say it in this article, but I believe it's been confirmed that he's playing a mentor to Han Solo. Yeah. Uh Yep. And uh, I I find that very intriguing. I'm very interested in, in uh, seeing him in that role. Yeah, well, I am it's, too. It, it's not the first time he's played a mentor, and actually, it has a comp- there's a um, there's a link to Allison Shermer, which is actually one of the producers. She actually she produced the Hunger Games also, where he played a uh, mentor to Katniss Everdeen, the main character. Right now, the other thing is, it says he's going to be Han's mentor, but we don't know if that means he's going to be a smuggler, which I could. Definitely definitely see him playing or was he a mentor of han in in uh the imperial academy if they go that route or yeah and then was han even ever a member of the imperial academy that's never been part of canon yet as far as i know well exactly. it's yep. part of legend yeah well right. has, but, have they tackled that in the hansel comic books at all no uh no okay so yes yeah, so we don't know exactly what type of mentor he's gonna play yet but I'm, I gotta say, this Han Solo movie is starting to uh, line up pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when I first heard um, it was gonna be uh, Woody Harrelson in the film, I, I wasn't as bad as a lot of fans out there. Like, oh my God, what are they doing? I'm like, interesting uh, choice. Yeah. I don't see yeah. it. But the more and more I keep thinking of it and, and um, looking at it, I, I, I can see him in the film. I can totally see him as like a smuggler. Or a pirate or something who takes Han Solo under his wings. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's got to learn from somewhere. Well, and like we pointed out earlier, um, Woody Harrelson has a wide range of what he can do. It, what we've seen him on screen so far, he's done all kinds of things from su- extremely serious to totally goofball stupid. Right. Right. And then in the uh, the next Planet of the Apes movie that's coming out this year, he's playing like a, a military general type character yeah so he definitely has the range yeah i think so and he has he actually has a really good look for um like scum of the universe type character too yeah yeah definitely so so yeah well here here's since we're thinking about well, what type of character is woody harrison playing um i was listening to a podcast from the from the network 1901 family of podcasts and let me just play a quick promo from them okay give them some love (laughs) my name's josh and i'm the host of modern mouse radio a weekly series connecting disney pixar marvel and star wars to the real world and connecting the real world back to the stories heroes and princesses that we all love my name's shannon mccarter and i am network 1901's resident fangirl and book lover i have a strange obsession with peter pan i love star wars and of course i read like there is no tomorrow i co-host explain this book to me with dale where it's basically like a book club but i am the only one that's obligated to read the books i'm also the host of the podcast series the world that never was a look into some of the ideas disney had for its theme parks and the real world issues that led them to never be built I also make videos for our YouTube channel, including a little theory explaining how Jen and Cassian totally survived at the end of Rogue One, which is great news for me, considering they're one of my many OTPs, and that ship totally needs to sail forever. Plus, you can catch me hanging out at Disneyland on our YouTube channel, dropping history facts and secrets about the happiest place on Earth. So find me, along with Shannon, Angie, Danny, Dale, and Andy, over at Network1901.com. Bringing you everything under the Disney umbrella. Network 1901. So Shannon brings up a great point. Cassian and Jen, did they survive at the end of Rogue One? The only one word, how. Yeah, that seems... There is no possible way that... You see the blast wave coming at them and they're standing on the beach. Yeah. Now the speculate... I haven't listened to it completely, but Shannon's speculation is they're on the other side of this big body of water, 
and the water dissipates the explosion. Mm. Or, or they no. were blown back and it, and they survived. It was like my argument is: look at Jeddah and what happened to Saul Guerrero's base and how much devastation it did to the village mm-hmm. next to it. Right. Well, you also got to think. Um, didn't they also mention that all life on Jeddah was destroyed, even though the planet still sits there? I think it was mentioned somewhere in there uh, that there was nothing left of Jeddah. Was it that? Well, I guess yeah. With the everything in the atmosphere and everything else, it would have killed it off. Yeah. There's basically a lifeless rock sitting out there that's called Jetta. So it, it would have been like the asteroid hitting Earth, killing off the dinosaurs. Pretty much. Type impact. I could see that. Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, I, I, to me, I don't see where they survived. Mm, no, I don't, I don't see it. Well, that and the fact that um, Gareth Edwards and many of the other cast and crew have already confirmed that no one survived. Yeah, basically. I mean, that's. Yeah. A, I mean, that kind of takes the wind out of speculation. But but Gareth Edwards uh, says himself that um, the Disney executives and the Disney um, Disney told them that everybody should die in this film because <laughs> he w- he wasn't going to ask for that because he knew he didn't think he'd get it. Yeah, and they yeah. told him to kill everybody. Well, the the other one. The other, the other question, you know, still comes up again today. What a, what about Ray, who's the father? Um, we'll know to- in about twelve months, <laughs> or will we? Yeah. See, because um, I was talking to Dale from 1901, who is also the host of Decast, and we got to talking, and he brought up possible Plagueis. I'm like, but Plagueis isn't alive. It could be, yeah, Pal- well but it could be Palpatine because her fighting style is similar to Palpatine's. I don't think so. That's way too deep of a pull. Yeah, that seems a bit of a stretch to me. So I, I then brought up the question: Does that mean? Um, Oh, who? Where did I go with this? I, I I brought up a new speculation for Snoke. I'm like, it, it's uh, who Snoke might be. I said I might have said Plagueis. That, that's where I was thinking that Snoke could be Plagueis. That may not be a scar on his head. That may just be his head, and he's just a really old moon. Well, who, <laughs> who if you know- let the moon have a ridge like that in the center of their head? Well, it, it, who knows what Palpatine did to him when he thought he killed Plagueis. Yeah. yeah. Well, another one you got to think of is technically Plagueis was released before they um, switched to the new canon. So yeah. Plagueis we know exists because he's mentioned in um, the pre- prequels, but they never say a species or anything. So technically he may not right. be a moon in it still. Yeah. And the whole – everything that was in Darth Plagueis' book um, is technically legend. So they could change the way he was killed. They could change the – maybe he went into hiding at some point. There's a lot of things they could do with Darth Plagueis. True. Now, Palpatine says that um, Darth Sidious destroyed his master, but we learned from Obi-Wan and through just history of Star Wars that many things um, depend on your point of view. Right. Which is a great way to retcon stuff. Yeah. The, there was someone else I was I was thinking of Plagueis might have been, and I don't remember. Oh, well. I'll have to write it down and remember it for next time. But... <laughs> Um, StarWars.com gave us two great little um, best of, worst of, or best of, meanest of characters. Uh, meanest list, I have one that had better be on there. Uh, I'm, I'm going to start off with the six best Imperial officers. Number one, Grand Moff Tarkin. That, yeah, he, he belongs on the top of any list for officers for the Empire. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Number two, now that he's canon, Grand Admiral Thrawn. Definitely. Yes. Uh, number three, Ray Sloan, uh, which she comes from Aftermath. Okay. Uh, number four. I recognize the name because I, I read Aftermath once. Uh, after the Battle of Endor, Admiral Ray Sloan controlled the only remaining superstar destroyer, and she did her best to rally the remaining Imperial forces, but to little avail. Hmm. Uh, as seen in Chuck Wendig's Aftermath and Aftermath Life Debt. Uh, Sloan has since used her training and determination to keep the Imperial military from extinction. Uh, prior to that, Sloan opposed Kanan Nahara and John Jackson Miller's fantastic novel, A New Dawn, which also chronicles Kanan and Hera's early relationship. Uh-huh. Uh, number yeah, four. Now that was a really great novel. Uh, number <clears throat> four, Orson Krennic. 
I'm gonna almost call foul on this because technically Krennic was not an Imperial officer. He put on a jet or uh, um, uniform, but he was never technically an officer. He was a science officer, wasn't he? Well, no, he was director of the um, Imperial Corps of Engineers Special Weapons Division. He was never a military officer because if you read, well, during the movie you don't catch that, but if you read Catalyst, there's many times that they mention he mentions even straight up that the officers and stormtroopers under him don't have to listen to him. He's not an officer. It's a um, respect thing for his position. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Well, number, number That's five. why Tarkin and him were so going off against each other so often because Tarkin is a military leader. Right. Right. Uh, number five, General Hux. You could almost <laughs> call foul on this because technically he's not Imperial. True. Yeah, technically. It's first order. Um, and then the last one, Admiral Mahdi. Yeah. <laughs> So I would say definitely three on the list deserve to be there. Yeah, I would say the first, the first two at least. Yeah, definitely. Now, according to the Star Wars databank, it's Director Orson Krennic as Director of Advanced Weapons Research for the Imperial yeah. Military. So technically, he could be an officer. Yeah. So. Now, on the other side of that, we have uh, the five meanest and often crazy droids in Star Wars. <laughs> mm. I can think of two animated ones that should be on the list. I hope they are. Uh, I, can, Chop- you know, I have one favorite, but Chopper is number one. There we go. I, I don't. I don't think this is in order of in, in any particular order. Right. Yeah. Um, but number one on the list is Chopper. Number two, coming from the Force Unleashed, is Proxy. See if you're gonna do. I, they're bringing in Legends also. Apparently so. I don't remember. I don't remember that one. Okay. Proxy is the training droid. Yeah, he's designed to kill Starkiller. That's his yeah. whole job. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've not played uh, the game, but I know most of the story. <laughs> number three, BT One and Triple Zero. Ah, yes. Which comes from the Darth Vader series. Yeah. These two are freaking nuts. That's all I got to say. <laughs> yeah. Number four, K two S O. Yeah, I don't yeah, see him definitely. as mean as just doesn't care. Yeah, yeah. But, but I could I could see him. Yeah, if he if he decided to go all Terminator snap. Yeah, yeah rise in the machines <laughs> right there. But I think he's I think he's well he's definitely snarky. Well, no, you can actually say mean if you look at his ending in um, Rogue One. Yeah, mm-hmm. and how many troopers he takes down on his own. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Now. Even though he's not canon anymore, he did bring the term meatbag into the Star Wars yeah. universe. I was hoping he was on the list. Yeah. HK47. I love HK47. Yeah. <laughs> I still say that's one of the greatest role-playing games of all time. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Ah, uh, HK47. I'm so happy. I may have to reinstall that on my computer. I so, um, so <laughs> com- uh, comic-wise, uh, let's wrap it up with... Um, comic books coming out within the next couple of weeks uh, before our next episode. I do not have any of the DK publications, um, only because we just ran out of time looking for it. But comic, but from Marvel, we have Star Wars coming out January twenty fifth. Star Wars number twenty seven, and a trade paperback Star Wars Legends Epic Collection. The newspaper strips. This one which, sounds like it'd be real fun. I. The Star Wars newspaper strips, Daily and the S- Sunday Funnies, is what I always won the comics for. Because to yeah. me, that's how I got Star Wars stories in between the monthly Marvel Star Wars titles back in the day. Right. And, and, that, and these had nothing to do... And these weren't even in the same timeline or in the same arc as the Marvel comics, which I found yeah. very cool, too. So uh, coming out February 1st, uh, Darth Maul, number one of five. Uh, uh, so the new Darth Maul five-part series starts. And Star Wars number 28, we see a continuation of a Yoda story. Oh, nice. So, so, so that's that for... Uh, for the week. Any final thoughts? Uh, nope. Nothing I can think of except for you meat bags. It's time to go to bed. <laughs> you know what? I, I think I was going to pull a phrase or a quote to use in everyday life from Rogue One, but I think HK47 said it best with the said it best with the quote Ken just gave. Yes. So one more time, Ken. It's time to go to bed, meat bags. <laughs> Give the evacuation code signal. All right, cut the chatter. Jet. I can hold it. Pull up! No, I'm all right. I have placed information vital to the survival of the rebellion into the memory systems of this R2 unit. I've lost R2. 
Oh, 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 oh,